whether it's God's call to Moses in Exodus chapter 4 and verse 17 and challenging him to believe that he really could be the one to rescue God's people from bondage and to lead God's people into the promised land. Or whether you think about the call from Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 8, who will I send and who will go for us? Or maybe the two prophetic calls in Jeremiah chapter 5 and verse 1 and Ezekiel 22 and verse 30 when God says, I sought for a man, one to stand in the gap and hedge up the way, but found none. This idea of God looking for men to serve him and to be a part of his work has always been a challenge. There's some pretty depressing statistics that come out of Pew Research related to men's response to religion, especially in Christianity. They say if you look across churches in, the, in America, the typical congregation is made up of 61 percent women, 39 percent men. On the whole, there are 13 million more women assembled today in churches to worship God than there is men. David Murrow wrote a book in 2011 entitled Why Men Hate Going to Church. And he said that though men are often occupying the pews, the reality is sometimes they're just not as engaged as they should. He cited statistics from Barna that said women are more likely to study their Bibles privately, to share their faith, to engage in service in the Lord's army and also to and help and encourage new converts than men are. Now, we might read and hear those statistics and maybe we say they reflect exactly what we see in our reality or maybe they don't exactly represent the church here at Lehman. But the reality is we all are men who could stand to be more engaged in the service and we know those that could. When you read and study the New Testament outside of Jesus Christ, the man that did this the best and the most frequent was and is the Apostle Paul. Just think about all the men who he was involved in their lives, in their spiritual maturation and in their development. There was Mark and Luke. Epaphroditus, Epaphras, Aristarchus, and Gaius. Paul was often tapping into men and trying to encourage them and help them to be all that they could be in the Lord. But out of all the men that Paul encouraged and influenced, the one at the head of that line is a young man we know as Timothy. Paul meets Timothy in Acts 16 on his second missionary journey. And throughout their lives, they take two missionary trips together. Paul writes him two letters and will eventually say, I have no other servant like Timothy, Philippians 2 and verse 22. And at the end of his life, his eyes are filled with tears as he longs to see his young protege in the faith again and to build him up in the service of the Lord. This morning, we want to talk about how do we engage men to serve the Lord? It's in keeping with our theme here at Lehman Avenue this year of engaging everyone for eternity. Unless you think we're just picking on the men, it'll be the women's turn April 30th. OK, we'll talk about how to engage women to serve the Lord. And Neil and I are going to do a lesson on that as well, because we all need to be engaged and we all need to do our part in serving the Lord. This lesson is by no means an attempt to beat down our men, but instead to build us up, because that's exactly what we need. We'll look at 18 points. No, not 18. We'll look at eight points, eight points, four from me and then four from Neil on how we can do this. And if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn it to Second Timothy. We'll look at the books of First and Second Timothy and what are the things that Paul did with Timothy and what do we need and what do we also need to give to the men in our lives to engage them in service to the Lord as well. Here's number one. We need to make sure that we're entrusted. If as men we're going to serve the Lord, we need to be entrusted. And if we're going to encourage men in our lives to serve the Lord, they need to be entrusted. Paul uses this word twice. First in First Timothy chapter one and verse 18, when he says, I entrust you that you continue in the things that were made about you in the prophecy that was made about you and by them wage the good warfare. But then he uses it here in Second Timothy two and verse two in the reading Greg gave for us a moment ago. 
The things you've heard of me among many witnesses, the same entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. This word for entrust, it means to hand over to somebody else and basically put faith in them to get the job done. When Paul uses this word here about Timothy, he's saying, I trust Timothy to carry out things. I trust Timothy to get the work done. In 1 Corinthians 4:17, he says, I'm sending you Timothy, my beloved son and child in the faith. And he'll remind you of my ways, which be in Christ as I teach everywhere in every church. In 1 Corinthians 16 and verse 10, he told the Corinthians, Timothy's coming and he does the work of the Lord just like I do it. Paul was able to hand over the reins and entrust Timothy to do the work and let him do it successfully. If you look at this verse, 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 2, there are four generations. The word came from Christ to Paul, from Paul to Timothy, from Timothy to faithful men and those faithful men to others. If Christianity is a race and it often is described as such, what Paul was saying is he had run his leg and now he's handing off the baton to Timothy in hopes that Timothy would run his as well. And he trusts that he could and that he would. If men are going to be engaged in service to the Lord, we, we need to be entrusted. And don't we sometimes struggle here? Whether it's a wife with a husband or whether it's a friend with another friend, we struggle to hand over the keys because we say, you know what? If you want something done right, you've got to do it how? You've got to do it yourself. And that's a worldly model. And it's a terrible one for Christians. The reality is, if you don't want something to die after your earthly demise and if you want others built up, rarely do anything yourself. Two are better than one. They have a good reward for their labor. If one falls, he can lift up another. If one is cold, two can make him warm. But a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12. There has to be entrusting. And we can make excuses. It's too risky. I don't know if he's skilled enough to do this job. I don't know if he'll be successful. I like to do things my way or I don't have the patience to wait and watch individuals develop. But as men that need to engage in the service of the Lord, we really do need to be entrusted. If he's doing the home Devo, I've got to entrust it to him and not micromanage and overtalk him and overstep. I've got to let him do that. If I'm going to let him teach this Bible class and if we're going to be encouraged to do that, the keys have to be handed over and we have to be entrusted. The United Kingdom did a study in which they found one in seven crashes, car crashes happened as a result of what they called the backseat driver. You might call this person the passenger driver. You know who I'm talking about. The person who either can't drive or chose not to drive, and yet they know exactly how fast you should be going, when you should turn, and how fast your windshield wipers should be going in the rain. Brittany's looking right at me. I can feel it. (laughs) Their point was this. Listen, listen, if you're going to let this person drive, what eventually happens to the driver in that case, they become so frustrated. All of the criticism and input just overwhelms them so much to the point that they forget about what they're doing and there's a crash, there's a wreck. And it can happen in a car, but it can also happen in church work. Eventually, as men, we'll tap out and wreck out because we're not entrusted. Every one of us must kill the micromanager that wells up within us in the spirit of suspicion that says, I don't really think this job will be done above par unless I do it myself and hand over the keys. Paul entrusted Timothy. He believed in Timothy and trusted that he could do it. Jesus said to the apostles in John 14 and verse 12, listen to Jesus say this to the apostles. I'm going back to the father and the works that I do, you'll do better. You'll do greater. He entrusted them. He believed in them. He thought they could. And the reality is when you read the New Testament, it's exactly what they did. Now, here's number two. If we're going to engage men in service to the Lord, We need clear guidelines. I know you say, well, men don't listen to directions anyway. Well, we need clear guidelines. 
Notice what Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 14. He says, I hope to come to you shortly, Timothy, but if I'm delayed, I'm writing to you so that you may know how you ought to behave yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress or ground for the truth. Rather than leave things up to chance, Paul gives Timothy a charge and he gives him clear guidelines on what exactly he should be doing. He wants to come face to face, but in the meantime, he writes a letter. And when you read the book of 1 Timothy, Paul lays out exactly what Timothy should be doing in every chapter. In chapter 1, he says, beware false teachers. In chapter 2, verses 1 through 8, he says, here's how to conduct worship. Chapter 2, verse 9 through chapter 3 and verse 13, here's the qualifications for leadership. Chapter 4, here's your charge as a preacher. Chapters 5 and 6, this is the care for benevolent and widows, and this is your charge for the rich. He leaves nothing to chance but tells Timothy everything that he needs to do. And if we're going to be engaged in service of the Lord, we need clear guidelines as well. How many times have you said as a man in the service of the kingdom? I know I've said it before. Maybe you've said anybody could do this job. Y'all, you don't need me to do this. I'm really not that special. And maybe it's because we don't really see how our work is tied to God and to his role and his work and how even our small parts in the kingdom help to bring his kingdom to full fruition in in the world and to ultimately help the gospel to flourish and succeed. I love how Jesus tells those two men in Matthew 21, go into the town, you'll find a donkey and a colt tied, and he gives them the directions, the clear guidelines on what they're to say, how everything's to go. And the last thing he says, make sure you tell the man that's going to give you these animals, the Lord has need of them. And I can just imagine, we don't know who the two disciples were, but in the decades that went past that time, they later realized they weren't just errand boys sent out to do busy work. They helped to fulfill prophecy in Zechariah 9 and verse 9, and they realized their work really did matter. Those clear guidelines made all the difference, and men in our lives need to hear us saying, we need to be told, your work is going to change the world as you serve Jesus Christ. The Lord has need of you. When we want to engage men in service to the Lord, what we need to hear you saying to us is that it's the Lord that's inviting you to do this work and not just me. People find a harder time telling God no than they do telling us no. And so we should always remind them that God's the one that's asking. Serve the Lord and you'll receive the inheritance of the reward for you're serving the Lord Christ. Colossians 3:24. the Lord has need of you. The elders want you busy, but it's really the Lord that has need of you. He's the one that's called us to the work. And when we have those clear guidelines, we'll succeed to that degree. Now, this means we follow the word of God and what God's telling us to do as far as serving him. It fully furnishes us. Second Timothy three, sixteen and 17. But there also are matters and areas of judgment where God's going to allow us to use our talents and gifts and abilities to serve him in the ways that best align with our gifts. Jesus told the disciples, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to every creature. Start in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then to the uttermost parts of the earth. Those are clear guidelines. And then he still allowed them to use their own wisdom, their own gifting and his divine providence to carry out the work and to get it done. If we're going to engage men in serving the Lord, there has to be clear guidelines given. You've played the telephone game before, right? One person whispers a small secret to another person, and by the time it travels the room, no matter how big or how small, it's now three times longer in a different language and totally foreign to the person that said it to begin with. And it's a fun game. It just teaches us that we really don't listen well, but it also teaches us the danger of horrible communication. As a game, it's fun, but in kingdom work, it's terrible. Notice the text again. Paul does not want Timothy to read his mind, but read his message. He says in verse 14, I've written to you so that you'll know what you ought to do and how you ought to behave yourself. He doesn't just tell them what to do, but he says, here's how you're to do it. 
we really do need direction and guidelines and guidance if we're going to do what God would have us to do. Here's number three. If we're going to be individuals that are engaged in service to the Lord as men, we really do need to be encouraged. Notice First Timothy chapter four and verse six. Paul's talking to Timothy as a preacher, but it applies broader than that. He says, if you put the brothers in remembrance of these things, you will be a good minister or servant, nourished up in the words of faith, going along with the doctrine that you have followed. Hebrews 3.13, encourage one another daily while it's called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitful men, deceitfulness of sin. The men in your life, the men in my life, we need to be encouraged. Encourage them, build them up, say a kind word and let them know that what they're doing for God ultimately matters. Jimmy Valvano, also known as Jimmy V, won the national championship with the North Carolina State, NC State Wolfpack in 1982-83. They were mid-ranked team. Nobody thought they would win the national championship except Jimmy V. He always knew that they would. He encouraged his team in this regard. In fact, he told his father when he was in high school one day, Dad, one day I'm going to win the national championship. And he did. Shortly after telling his dad that one day he hoped to win the national championship, he came home. His dad said, come into my room. He came in. His dad pointed at his suitcases. Jimmy V said, what's that all about? He said, these are my bags, son. They're packed. When you win the national championship, he said, I'll be there to watch you play. My my bags are already packed. In Jimmy V's epic speech when he received an ESPY, he said that day my father gave me one of the greatest gifts you could ever give another human being. And that is he believed in me. Proverbs 25 and verse 11, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and pictures of silver. I don't know why we do it. I'm guilty of the same thing. But every one of us, maybe it's the devil, our doubt or our own pride. Every one of us has held back encouragement from people that we know we need to give it to. We've psyched ourselves out of writing that card, waiting in that long line to thank him after he's done the Devo or to say a compliment after class. I don't know why we do it. But Paul says, if we're going to engage men in service to the Lord, we desperately need to be encouraged. It's not only that we can do this, we must do this. Here, Proverbs 18 and verse 21, I've often quoted this verse to talk about the negative. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. But did you hear that? Life is in the power of the tongue. He won't live. We won't live without it. Ray Ortland is fond of saying you won't meet anybody today or any day of your life who's suffering from over-encouragement. It's just not going to happen. You're not going to go out and encourage anybody and they're going to stop you full stop and say, wait, I don't need that. My bucket's already full. I've got all the encouragement I need. It's never happened to you. Paul says, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. First Thessalonians five and verse 11. Encouragement is what men need to remain engaged in the service of the Lord. And here's the fourth and final one. We need spiritual advisement. If men are going to be engaged in the service of the Lord, there has to be this idea of a spiritual advisor, somebody that comes alongside and guides this person, guides men in the things of God. Paul begins both letters, first and second Timothy, by calling Timothy first his son in the faith. First Timothy, chapter one and verse two, and then his dear son, second Timothy, chapter one and verse two. That could communicate that he was a part of Timothy's conversion. And maybe he was on his first missionary journey in the area of Derby and Lystra in Acts 13 and 14. But whatever it means, Paul was engaged in his spiritual maturity. He told the Philippians, you know, the proven worth of him. That as a son with the father in the gospel, he's labored with me. He showed Timothy the ropes at the end of first Timothy in chapter six. He'll say, but you, O man of God, in contrast to the false teachers, follow that which is true and righteous, honest and good. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life to which you have attained. In second Timothy two, 24 and 26, he'll say, servant of the Lord, Timothy must not strive. And though he's absent in person, you can hear him whispering in Timothy's ear and spirit. 
You to be faithful, apt to teach, patient and meekness, instructing those who oppose themselves. If by any means they may obtain the repentance that God extends. He's advising Timothy and the men of our lives need the same thing. I know we talked about micromanaging at the beginning of the lesson, but spiritual advisement is something altogether different. It says to them, I believe in you and I want to help you and I want to invest in you and I want to see you do great things for the Lord. Men can do this as well as women. We don't know her name, but in Romans 16 and verse 13, Paul says to a friend of his name, Rufus, salute Rufus's mother and mine in the Lord. Evidently, there was a woman in Paul's life who believed in Paul and even encouraged Paul and said, you can do it. Maybe it was about his past or his failings from before. She came alongside Paul and encouraged him. And Paul does it here for Timothy. Jason Hood said, we rarely try sushi, social media or facial hairstyles without first seeing it in another person. He says we don't learn to read, write or tie our shoes, except we continuously see physical models do it before us. And if that's true in the physical, why wouldn't it also be true in the spiritual? We need spiritual advisement. Take him to lunch and eat with him and invest in him. Ask him what you can pray for him about in his fears. Challenge him to step out of his spiritual comfort zone. Challenge us in that way because we need to be challenged. But we also need direction and we need guidance. Paul was that for Timothy. And at the end of Timothy's life, Timothy's doing the same thing. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 1, we read of Timothy encouraging the saints in Thessalonica. It was contagious. He had a great model, a great example, and he became as much himself. You know, we could say these four points are enough, but they're far from exhaustive. And Neil's going to come up and preach to us about the rest of the ways we can engage men in serving the Lord. You know, pressures come from a lot of different places. We need those external motivations to keep us going. And they can come from a lot of different areas. You know, they're going to come from our peers, from other men. Sometimes they're going to come from specific places in our lives, maybe from those who are mentors or leaders over us. Sometimes it's a general encouragement that we need. And sometimes the pressure that we need is not so much external as it is internal. I challenge you as you look at all eight of these that you're going to see that pressure coming from somewhere. It's either from a needed source outside or from within. So if you look at the fifth thing that we notice in these encouragements that we need as men, we need to know and to be known. You know, women naturally do this in their relationships with one another. They open up and they talk not just with one but with several. But as men, we're not as inclined to do that. We have to push ourselves to make ourselves be known and to know each other. The Apostle Paul gives us a great example of this in what we see in First and Second Timothy. I want you to notice how the Apostle Paul, who was the mentor in that relationship, he led out. He was the one to show the way in this. He demonstrated to Timothy about his checkered past. He didn't try to present this picture that he was perfect and there was no room for growth in his life. You remember in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 13, he says, You know how before I was a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor, but I obtained mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ was more than abundant in the faith and the love which are in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am foremost of all. Now, if we don't know anything else, we know that the Apostle Paul in these letters opens up to Timothy and he says, look, I haven't always done it the best. In fact, there are some things that I've done that I'm so ashamed of and I'm sorry about. 
And what kind of an impact did that have on Timothy? For him to know this. Now, as Hiram said, on the second and third missionary journey, Paul has Timothy along as one of his co-workers. And if you look at especially that second missionary journey, how many miles are traveled over land and over sea, you have these opportunities for Paul and Timothy to talk. This weekend, uh, Hiram and Russell and I went down to Georgia and back, and we were in a car for nine hours. Like it or not, you're going to either sit there and say nothing, or you're going to begin to talk to one another about matters that you wouldn't necessarily at the building or on the surface. And we learned a lot about one another. It's important, and not everything was about how great things are. Mostly it was about ways that we'd like to improve. But then Paul is able to turn around and he's able to do the same thing for Timothy. He says, as I remember your sincere faith that first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am convinced is in you also, I urge you to kindle afresh the gift of God which was given to you by the laying on of my hands because God has not given to us a spirit of timidity but of power and of love and of discipline. That's 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5-7. through 7. And he's complimenting him on his past. He's saying, I know where you've been and you've done some good things. He challenges him in his present. Some things he needs to do to kindle afresh the gift that God has given to him. And he coaxes him to have a better future. He says, look, you don't have this timid spirit. You've been given these gifts to be able to do more. What makes it something that's easy for us to be engaged in the work of the Lord is when we are known. That means we've got to disclose. And when we get to know others. You know, when it comes to spiritual leadership, how do we know how to task men with the works that they need to do? Transparency. Sharing insights. That gives insight into what kind of temperament we need that we have. What triggers us. What threatens us. And what tempts us. And so the way to that is there's no shortcut. We have got to spend time to get to know one another. Man, that's something that we need to grow in all the the way around is to be open and transparent. And as we do so, we realize where we fit in the work of the Lord. If we're going to be engaged, there has got to be this relationship building that's a part of our lives. That's the way it was with Paul and Timothy, and that's how it works in the work of the Lord. But then we also need to be challenged That's the sixth thing that we find here. There's a challenging that takes place that's so needed. I think this is an area especially where church leadership can excel. You know, I think sometimes we're afraid of the idea that men like to be challenged. We want to be challenged, not in some chest-thumping kind of a way where it's two roosters in the hen house and we get in somebody's face and we confront them. That doesn't do the trick. But we do want to be pushed to go higher and to get outside of our comfort zone and to do more. If you think about what Solomon says, he captures this wisdom from God himself in Proverbs 27 and verse 17 when he says, Iron sharpens iron and so a man sharpens his friend. We need to be challenged to do more and to grow in our service. I want you to see how the Apostle Paul models this. He challenges Timothy in two ways. He's the mentor. He's the one who has the experience in that relationship. So when we think about men, the men in our lives that we have influence over, we can do this. Well, the Apostle Paul challenges him in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8 through 14. He realizes that his own time is short. 
And so he challenges Paul with two, uh, rather Timothy with two things in 2 Timothy 1, verse 8 through 14. He says, I want you to retain and I want you to guard. But now when he says, I want you to retain, what he's saying there is, is I want you to have and to hold. I want you to possess in your hand. I want you to cling to it. Hold tightly to it. And what he's telling him he wants him to hold tightly to is the word as he has disclosed it to Timothy. And with holding tight to it, he, what's going to help his grip to be strong? I don't know if you ever had those little hand grips when you were a kid and maybe you were trying to have the same strong handshake as your uncle and so you began to squeeze on that to try to, to get that hand strength. Paul is saying to Timothy, I want you to strengthen your grip on the word of God. How do you do that? You do that by faith, conviction, and you do that by love, your devotion to God and one another. So Paul says, listen, I want you to retain this, but I also want you to guard it. That word guard is the word, a word that means to serve in a, in a functional capacity as a sentinel. It means to guard over, to keep from escaping. It's the same word that is used in Acts chapter 12 by Luke to talk about the men who were entrusted with Peter when he was in prison. They were to guard him. What Paul says to Timothy is, is just as God has guarded your soul, verse 12, I want you to guard what has been entrusted to you, this word, verse 14, and they're tied to one another. And so the Apostle Paul is saying, Timothy, I challenge you. To retain the word and to guard it so that it doesn't lose, it doesn't suffer, but that it grows. But not only does he tell him that, but he go to 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15. And the apostle Paul says, as we know, study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that does not need to be ashamed, handling accurately the word of truth. Paul is saying, listen, you've got a job with the word of God. You and your spiritual life need to know it and you need to grow in your knowledge and your application of it. And if you don't put in the work as a workman, you can be rightly criticized for your not being a good steward of this treasure. Now if we were to ask ourselves the question, why men are we not more involved in the work of the Lord? Why are we not more engaged? If we'll listen to what Paul is saying to Timothy in 2 Timothy it's two of the same things. Sometimes we're not more engaged because of embarrassment. And at other times we're not more engaged because of laziness. I don't mean laziness as in we don't like to work or to do, but a particular laziness that Paul is talking about. We can get embarrassed. We can be ashamed to shine our light and to live out our faith when we're out there in the world. It's easy in here, but when we find ourselves in those relationships on the job and external to this place, we can find ourselves not wanting people to know that we're people of faith. We need to be challenged to up that. Or sometimes we find ourselves half-hearted in our faith. And if you can say it that way, that's something that needs diligence and that we've got to get ourselves out of that comfortable rut. I, don't, I know that we have some here that like to ride bicycles, and it's uh, hard to do on flat surfaces, but when I lived in Colorado, they brought the U.S. Pro Cycle Challenge to Colorado, and it created two firsts in the history of that race. There were two peaks over 12,000 feet above sea level, and the bicyclists had to pedal that. They had to find that right middle gear in order to handle those changes so that they could consistently stay in the race. What is so easy for us to do is to get into a spiritual rut, 
to kind of let off the pedals and to coast along. And if we stay in the lowlands, it's easy to do. But what we need are those who influence us in our lives to come along and say, get out of your comfort zone. Stretch yourself. Grow. Oh, I know you've never done this before. I know you're not comfortable doing this. I know you would like somebody else to do it. But instead of doing that, you let yourself be challenged to do those things that are uncomfortable. We need to be led, as Paul led Timothy, to go up higher. I think men respond to that challenge. We love to have something that really stands out there that we don't think we can accomplish or that others say that we can't. We need to be challenged. But another thing that we need to do is we need this from everybody. We need to be praised specifically and by name. The Apostle Paul is going along and he's encouraging Timothy in these two letters. And in the midst of this, he stops and he says, May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and he was not ashamed of my chains. But when he came to Rome, he earnestly sought me and he found me. May the Lord grant mercy from the Lord on that day to Onesiphorus. And you know very well the services that he rendered at Ephesus. That's 2 Timothy 1, verse 16 through 18. When I was a younger preacher, I wrote an article entitled, When Paul Called Names. And I made the point in that article and went back and checked it recently, and it seems to be the case that in 5% of all of Paul's writings, he mentions men specifically by name in the tone of commendation. In other words, he mentioned somebody specifically and he said something good about them. Did you know that 1%, 1% of all of Paul's writing, he mentions somebody by name in the tone of rebuke? Two of the 19 are not even members of the church. Well, what does that tell us? What's the principle from that? Five times more often than the other, Paul commends, he praises by name. And that tells me that I need that and I need to engage in that in others. My focus as I look at other men is I need to encourage them much more often specifically by name. Well, how do we do that? We need to make use of the forums that God has given to us. In the information age, how many ways do we have to acknowledge and notice the good that individuals are doing? We have social media. And it's various forms which can be so abused. We have the ability through that to notice specifically and tangibly in a way that's meaningful, not contrived, that we just have to drum up or that's in some way not true. But if we'll keep our eyes open, it's happening all the time. And to mention it through that way. How about the church bulletin? To always try to find ways to use that. How about this particular podium? Whether it's the Bible classroom podium or the, the, as we preach, if it's the elders, if it's the preachers or whoever stands behind it to say, this individual has done this well. You know, we don't want to do anything for the praise of men. To let that be our motivation. But success breeds success. Everybody appreciates the work that we've done being acknowledged and recognized. And what it does to the, all of us is it tells us what works are appreciated and why. When we see that low-hanging fruit of the good that's done by others, we need to never miss an opportunity to encourage. You know, men often tie their identity to the work that we do. And so we need to realize when we're engaged in the work of the Lord, how important and powerful that is to God. How do we look to Him? 
As Peter would say it in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9, you are a chosen race. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. You're a people for God's own possession that you should show forth the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Notice with me what he says in here to Timothy that all of us need, and that is that we need praise specifically and by name. But another thing that we notice here is this is something that we need from ourselves. We need to see the future. We need as we are engaged in the work of the Lord to see the impact, the legacy that we're having on those yet unborn. When we see what the Apostle Paul does in this, he helps us in three ways at least. He encourages us to see the future. What is the future if we're not engaged in the Lord? Do you see how Paul does this? He does it in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1. He says, know this, that in the last days difficult times will come. And he lists all these activities that are harmful to society, harmful to our families, harmful to ourselves and our spiritual destinies. He's saying difficult times are going to come. If we're not engaged in trying to offset the influence of the world by our positive influence, what will the world be like tomorrow? And then he goes to 2 Timothy 4, verse 3 and 4. He says, the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But in accordance with their own lust, they will accumulate for themselves teachers having itching ears. They will turn their ears away from the truth and they'll be turned into fables. Paul's saying, what does the future look like, men, if we don't assume the spiritual leadership and to get out there and be salt and light in this world? It's a dim picture. But he also shows us what the future looks like if we are engaged in the Lord. And in one sense, it's a negative picture in the short term. In other words, if we engage in the work of the Lord and we carry our faith everywhere we are on behalf of the Lord, it may mean persecution. 2 Timothy 3 and verse 12 says, Yea, and all that live godly will suffer persecution. It may mean enduring hardship. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 5. But what will it mean ultimately to the future? What impact will our involvement and our engagement have? 2 Timothy 3 and verse 12 says it's going to result in salvation. 2 Timothy 4 and verse 8, it's going to result in a crown of righteousness which the Lord our God will give not only to me in that day, but to all those who love His coming and His appearing. We need to look at the future. We need to realize that the future is not just measured in terms of brick and mortar. It's not just measured in terms of the next event on the church calendar. It's measured in terms of how our individual impacts as men will help to change this community and the part that we can play. And when we can see the future and the role that each of us can have in that, it will make us to stand at the plate and go to bat. When we look at what Paul does here, he writes two letters to a man, a young man who was preaching at the church at Ephesus. And in the first letter, he writes to him and he says, these are the things, here are the instructions that can help you to help the church to be as it ought to be, to be engaged in the work that I've given it. In the second letter, he writes to Timothy to make sure that Timothy was still engaged in that work. Now, yes, he writes to Timothy, who was a preacher, but as a preacher, he was a minister. As a minister, he was a servant. And every man of God, like every child of God, is a servant of God. And so the application is there for us. 
we realize that principles like these eight that we find in First and Second Timothy are these external and even internal pressures that will push us to be engaged in the work of the Lord. Engaging everyone for eternity includes men. Jean Nidich was in her younger days going into the supermarket and she ran into an old friend from school. It had been some years since she'd graduated and the friend hadn't seen her and she congratulated on how well she looked and asked her when the baby was due. Jean Nidich was not pregnant. So she went to the New York Department of Health and there she uh, got a, a diet plan and she started working that plan. And as she did, she lost a little bit of weight. But it all really changed when she found six other weight challenge friends and had them come to that apartment with her. And there together they began to push and motivate one another. And guess what happened? The weight began to drop. And out of that grew a movement now over 50 years in its existence that spans 24 countries, over a million users of the program. And we know it, don't we? It's WW, Weight Watchers. Something happens when we get other people involved in the ways that we need motivated. When we say to someone, you're not in this by yourself, there are others who are with you. When I was an L, a member at the Cold Harbor Road Church of Christ and was preaching there, we had an elder who had a great idea one year. We had these planning meetings, we had goal settings each year, and all the men of the congregation were present. And one year, Ron came in with a bunch of hats and T-shirts with a, an acronym emblazoned across the front of both of them, T-E-A-M. I'd never heard that before. Sure, you have. But it means or stands for together, everybody accomplishes more. And he said some great remarks at the beginning of that retreat, I think, that is still having an impact to this day. He says, men, each of you have an ability, a way to be engaged and involved that no one else can. And when we put all of that together, think of the ways that we can push and move in the kingdom of God. You see, we look at ourselves, we're an army, we're a team. And God needs every one of us at work in that. And when we put our collective weight together in pushing for the kingdom of God, great things will happen, change will be seen. There's a man, there, every man among us has a contribution that you can give for the Lord. And I want you to think about the men in your lives, whether you're married to them, whether they're your sons or your fathers, if they're your friends or those that you spend time with outside of these assemblies, or if they're those over whom you have charge. Those men need these principles that Paul shares with Timothy. And men, let me suggest this to you. Maybe you're discounting the good that God wants to do through you. Maybe you're like those that Hiram mentioned in the very beginning. You're, you're very quick like Moses or Isaiah or Ezekiel to say, why not let somebody else do that? God needs you. Who knows who may occupy heaven someday because you got involved in the work of the Lord. But maybe it begins with your taking a step that you've not yet taken. And that is into the waters of baptism to have your sins washed away to become a part of the body of Christ, to be a man of God in the house of God, doing the work of God. If you're ready to do that, maybe you've been studying, maybe someone's been studying with you, and you're ready to act on your faith. Or maybe you're a man of God who just needs to be challenged this morning to stretch outside of your comfort zone, to do what you've not yet done, to be willing to say yes to some of those challenges that are coming your way. 
Or maybe as a man of God, there's a need for you to return to God in repentance. If we can help you in any of those ways, David's going to lead us in a song of invitation. It's meant for us to contemplate, to be encouraged by the Word of God and its promises and its commitments. And if perhaps there's one that you need to make today in a public way, we can help you. If so, come right now as we stand and sing.